Cynic Empowerment. Welcome everyone. This is Cynic Empowerment and we are so happy to have you. My name is Jimmy Horn. And my name's Tim Carpenter. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Uh, before we get started, I would like to make a few shout-outs, uh, one of which to Stuart. Yes. I very much appreciate you reaching out to us on Facebook. Thank you so much for the kind words, words of encouragement. It's what keeps us going. It's a fuel for cynicism. So thank you very much, Stuart. Uh, is there anybody else that you want to give a, a shout-out to, Jimmy? Yes, uh, my dear uh, friend Joseph sent us a super nice email, and our email is cynicempowerment at gmail.com, and uh, it, it said lots of just really nice things about our episode we had recently about millennials and how he resonated with it. I would mm -hmm. read his entire message, uh, but he wrote a lot of really nice words, and I don't think we have time for all of it, but just wanted to say thank you, Joseph. That was super kind, and we both sincerely appreciated it. Absolutely. And it was much more eloquently written than I could possibly say it. Yeah. So, uh, well done on that. It, it sounded very well thought out and you made some excellent points that I wish I had known prior to doing the podcast so that we could have included those. <laughs> very true. Uh, but, but thank you so much for, for writing us. That, that was seriously really cool of you. Uh, so how about it, Jimmy? You want to jump right in? Uh, Yes, let's hop in. Do you do you want to start or should I start? Who's starting here? Yeah, well let's uh, let's go ahead and offer a little bit of a disclaimer for yeah, this. Yeah, that episode. sounds good. Uh, this is gonna be a touchy issue. Trigger uh, warning for uh, precisely for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one, it is it is such a deep and wide pool of knowledge that is influencing. Uh, all of these these variables that we are going to try to touch on today, and, and we're not going to get to even half of them. Mm -hmm. There's no way that we could we could you know fully entrap all that there is to have to do with with this particular subject. So Absolutely. keep that in mind. Uh, if we do end up forgetting something about this or, or something that does need to touch on, similar to what Joseph did, please let us know after the episode, and we'll try to include it in further episodes down the line. Absolutely. Uh, beyond that, uh, there's a lot of things that we could possibly get wrong about this. We have our own perceptions. We are limited to that. So everything that we say, it, please take it with a grain of salt. You know, it's not the end-all, be-all truth. Uh, it's just our opinion, uh, and we try to allow our experiences to uh, honestly affect those opinions as possible. So right. cut us a damn break. I know that you guys are already getting your judgmental caps on, so. <laughs> yeah, Tim and I are all about uh, having a conversation in the very literal sense of having a conversation uh, with each other, but also having a conversation with uh, our listeners. We like to think of it as a, a community where we're all sharing ideas, our thoughts, and trying to uh, spread positivity whenever possible, but also maybe... Uh, acknowledge the uh, negative effects of the different topics and things we discuss. So yeah, just keep all, keep all that in mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, the first topic that we're going to be discussing today is body image, specifically male body image and specifically male body image. isn't discussed as often as women body image in media and culture and America in general. 
Yeah, for, for good reason. Uh, I, I do want to talk about female body image, you know, just a smidgen, because I don't sure. think that you can speak on body image without touching on the, the feminist aspects of this subject. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, uh, when body image is typically discussed, the conversation is going to center around the feminist point of view. And it's totally understandable, considering that there is an apparent pressure that women have to deal with from this relentless uh, and passive understanding of feminine beauty. It attacks them much more so, uh, or in my opinion, much more so than it does men. Uh, and absolutely you know, why, why that is, I'm not entirely certain. Uh, I think it has a lot to do with, uh, these, um, y- you know, like <laughs> certain factors that are trying to push an industry, uh, in order to, encourage women to buy new clothes or to wear, uh, expensive products in their hair or certain makeup. Not that men at all are excluded to that. And in fact, we've seen a major cultural shift over the past 20 years or so Mm -hmm. in which men have begun to adopt many of these same consumerist tendencies that women have been, uh, you know, it has been shoved down women's throats for Hundreds of years. Many, many, yes. A very, very long time. So not, not longer. But it is relatively new to men. So, you know, that's one of the topics that we're going to be discussing today. Uh, I kind of want to approach this from a philosophical point of view, as, you know, we tend to do on cynic empowerment. Mm-hmm. Uh, first and foremost, you have to determine, you know, why we're even going to be discerning uh, about certain looks to begin with. You know, we as human beings have aesthetic preferences. You know know anything about aesthetics, Jimmy? Aesthetics. Aesthetics is how things look. Pretty much. I assume. (laughs) Yeah, it it absolutely is. Do do you have any any preferences in terms of the way things should look? Um, Like in (laughs) – that's a very vague question too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, because there's there's aesthetics in houses, you know. There's certain way houses look. The like more than others. There's aesthetics as far as dogs. Certain dogs I like or I find more aesthetically pleasing. Uh, yeah. Styles of art. So I mean, the list goes on forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so the human body. Okay. You know, what is what does the perfect human body look like? Uh, honestly, oh my gosh, I I just I, I'm God. It got me. <laughs> got my tongue tied. It's a tough question. To <laughs> I don't. I don't want to shoot myself in the foot five minutes into the episode. I guess. Well, let's let's save what our opinions are for you know what what uh, body image we prefer or what we think looks good until after the fact. Uh, let's just let's discuss a couple of important points here and uh-huh. uh, just go from there. Uh, so in terms of aesthetic in particular, uh, there was a, a painter, Barnett Newman, uh, who is quoted as saying, aesthetic is for the artist as ornithology is for the birds. Okay. And I think that that's, that's a, a good way to kind of begin approaching uh, the way in which we view the human body. You know, you have certain archetypical images like the Vitruvian man in which we have uh, this perfect symmetry between, say, the length of the arm and the, the length of the upper thigh and how all of these, like, 
uh, measurements are supposed to kind of equate to one another in some way, Absolutely. which might lend itself to influencing the way that we view uh, uh, any type of symmetry in the Western world. We're obsessed with it. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at our you 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 said buildings, right? Yep. If you look at our buildings, obviously we're obsessed with it. You know, all, all of the buildings around where I live in uh, in the DMV, they they're all perfectly set up in this exact way, this kind of like Baroquean, you know, huge columns and, you know, this magnificence of equal, all of these things being, you know, completely square and absolutely symmetrical in every way. And I think that that influences the way that we view the human body as well. Right. You know? Well, there's, there's so many uh, different body types, like as far as people's like, quote unquote, like natural body type but what you see in the commercial world is they try to sell you like one kind of body type to say like this is how you're supposed to look here you go this is your what's one the, one option what's that one what's um are we talking about men or women because it's different well, so uh, let's go ahead and diverge so uh, i'm sure that the the understanding of what the ideal women's body type is very well understood through uh, things such as uh, Victoria's Secret, those those evil people, uh, and other model agencies that are trying to tout this image of a woman who is overly thin uh, and uh, overtly sexual, I think is a, probably a good way to put it, For sure. uh, just un unusually curvaceous. And it's – I think that that's generally well understood as being the, the stereotypical uh, kind of – female body image. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we're, we're, we're here to discuss the male body image, of course. And, you know, we could make, uh, uh, an episode series that lasts, you know, three or four of these, uh, if we wanted to discuss both, but you know, our experiences of course lie with the male side of things. So Absolutely. yeah, let's, let's focus on that. Well, sure. the ideal male body image, you can see it in all kinds of different things, uh, of what, uh, young males interact with it early as their adolescence as a child, such as mm. GI Joes. You're going to have these tall, yeah. ripped dudes that you play with. And then you have superheroes. Like look at any actor who plays uh, uh, Superman or Batman or any of these iconic characters, Captain America, they're all going to be super ripped, right? Have like an eight pack um super quote unquote masculine and so those are basically the things that mm -hmm. uh young boys start seeing from an early age of like i'm supposed to look like that you know if uh if you as a parent see your child playing with a tall ripped man <laughs> i would encourage you to intervene please stop the child from talking to that individual playing with them in particular especially if you had absolutely no outside influence on the relationship you know maybe if it's a sitter or something like that i don't urge you to discriminate between oh. female sitters but by the same token if your child has found a friend on the street and it happens to be uh, a large man i would i don't know i would question it you know <laughs> at the very least absolutely <laughs> <laughs> but no I, I i totally understand your point jimmy uh you know, the, the G.I. Joe or the I mean, it's not necessarily the, the military aspect, right? No. It's more so the, the thin waist, the broad shoulders, uh, the, the tall and 
you know, almost stiff kind of straight back posture. Mm -hmm. Um, All of these things are going to lend itself uh, to the Western male body aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what kind of body types are there though? And in, of course, you know, we were focusing on the Western point of view. Once again, it goes without saying we could probably uh, have information to fill several episodes mm-hmm. if we were to examine the male body image uh, around the world. You know, we, we don't want to be ethnocentric here either. Uh, and America is, or excuse me, the United States is certainly not the only one. Mm-hmm. You know, body image is touted as being uh, much different across uh, the human race. And that, that spectrum is, is just as wide when it comes to the female body aesthetics. Uh, but these are these are neither here nor there because you know we're going to focus on on uh, Western points of view. Well, I mean, different bodies that you know people have. Some people are tall. Some people are short. Some people have broad shoulders. Some people yes. have slim shoulders. Some people have slim waist. Some people are quote unquote big boned. Uh, yes. Some people naturally are going like despite um, their diet are going to struggle with weight problems regardless of what they eat. This due to their <laughs> metabolism. So you have a whole lot of different factors and things going in to create uh, a wide range and spectrum of different looking people. Absolutely. Uh, have you heard of the three body types, Jimmy? Are you familiar oh, with Oh, yeah, I have. It's been a while, though. So we starting with the, uh, the, the thinner and going to the larger, we have ectomorphs. That's me. Which, <laughs> that's Jimmy, uh, which is classified by long limbs. Uh, thin builds, small joints, narrow hips, and clavicles. That's an interesting way to put that. Anyway, narrow shoulders, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and stringy muscle bellies. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love and them stringy muscle bellies. Stringy muscle bellies. Uh, then you have your mesomorphs, uh, which I assume if you're only operating on three different body types, then they are your average body type. Mm-hmm. They're the what most people would fit into. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if they're in between like the, the skinny people and bigger people, uh, yeah, you have wider clavicles, a narrow waist, still have that, that narrow waist, uh, still have thinner joints and long and round muscle bellies. So I guess that's referring to not necessarily like, you know, belly belly, but more like just how your muscle sits on your body, whether it be your, your forearms or your calves or whatever, mm-hmm. what happens. And then you have your endomorphs. Uh, they're blocky, have a thick rib cage, wide or thicker joints, mm-hmm. hips as wide or wider than the clavicles, and shorter limbs. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you're operating based on those three things, uh, what do you think uh, most people would would assume is the uh, archetypical Western point of view perfect male body. It's going to be that middle one that I've already forgotten the name of. The, the mesomorphs. Yeah, and I think I would agree with that. Absolutely. Uh, and I don't know if it's just because that that's, you know, that's what the average could possibly be or that's just what lends itself to the idea of having a, a thin waist and broad shoulders in particular. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, that makes sense. Yeah, and of course, you know, some of these are going to have, if you're discussing these, uh, in a in a practical way, I think more often than not, I've heard of the body types being discussed when you're referring to exercise regimens mm-hmm. uh, and what you need to do in order to acquire 
uh, a very particular look. Uh, so most of the time your mesomorphs are going to have a little bit easier time putting on muscle mass uh, and it's going to, you know, in the in this point of view, it's going to look better because it is it's going to be stretched over uh, a longer skeleton, a taller skeleton, which I think goes without saying that the the Western aesthetic appreciates taller guys. Absolutely. There's actually a, a rule some women have, uh, and I, I've heard this discussed. I've heard women say this. <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard it a time or two in my yeah. life. I I know exactly what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> uh, some women will not uh, date, or I, I guess become monogamous with men who are shorter than they are. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why exactly that is. I, I would assume that. It's because it reduces in some way, shape, or form, or their, their femininity is diminished because of the diminutive stature of their partners, mm-hmm. you know, by comparison. That would make sense to me. I'm not a woman, but that it, it sounds like good good thinking logic to this guy. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know either. I don't know. And I, I, I would say that, you know, neither of us really have had that experience being short guys we're, we're both relatively tall peoples yeah. so sure. that's that's something that if, if you have had experience being a short guy uh and you think that you could add something to the conversation please contact us uh we'll include it in the next episode okay absolutely um we would very much like to talk about that so uh let's talk about the prevalence of uh, certain other body types, uh, still socially acceptable, mind you. Uh, the dad bod. Oh God. Is one of those in which uh, our society seems to have become complacent. In obsessed a way. with. <laughs> uh, obsessed with, yeah. <laughs> There's a dad bod dating simulator. Are you aware of it? No. Oh my God. It's what like I can't remember. It's like I can't remember the name off the top of my head. But essentially, it's like this fantasy world where everyone's like a dad and all these dads are trying to date each other you're trying to find your perfect dad partner it's nice. it's a, it's a trip but anyways sorry please continue it sounds like it sounds like quite the game yeah um, you're like trying to like you're a dad trying to go on dates with other dads and i don't <laughs> think they all have dad bods but i think a lot of them do and yeah <laughs> Uh, there's a, it's just a letter one. Oh, there's a dad out there for everyone. What's the, uh, what's the rankings? Like, how, how do you determine how effective your dad is in the game? Um, so, okay. Were you, did you ever play any of those shitty, like, uh, dating sim games that were like flash games, like back in the day? Yeah. Where does it basically give you this, um, you know, a, a choice of like a couple of different quotes. That yes, you could, exactly. And you're yeah, trying to woo these other dads. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah that's basically yeah, it. You're just, yeah, you're just going around. You have like three choices of things to say. You're trying to mm-hmm. woo them so you can, I don't know, I guess, be in dad. Dating simulators. You mean, you mean real life in high school, right? <laughs> 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 Uh, yep, that's when I played those. Uh, yep, right there with you. <laughs> so that's that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so okay, so how do you uh, 
how do you determine how how effective your your character is? You, you don't oh. have any stats other than just like the choices that you make in game. I think it's just the choices you make in game. I have not actually played it. I've just uh, yeah. I've seen it and looked at it just because I was confused and was okay. trying to seek understanding. Why and would you be confused? I'm uh, straightforward. <laughs> uh, well, at first I thought it was like a different situation where like it was a game targeting for like women to go and yeah. get their dad dating fantasies on but then i realized that within the game you were a dad dating other dads so it adds a whole nother layer of dadness to it that i wasn't expecting um all right but it's on steam if anyone wants to play it i don't remember the name but i'm sure you'll be able to find it i don't think there's a a lot of dad dating dad games out there yeah dad date yeah that's uh definitely trademarked by now yeah yeah making a lot of money making a killing off a dad date like Dead date simulator five thousand. Right. Nice. But yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like, uh, I, I'm. I'm impressed by this uh, sudden fascination with dad bods and how that has become an attractive type thing. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm not entirely certain how that came about. Mm-hmm. Uh, did Did you run into any of that in your your studies of how the the dad bod has become something to be admired on some level. Uh, absolutely. Um, and I don't know if it's because it's, it's like a mockery of itself. Like it's, it's funny to the degree that people have embraced it as being something that is socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I I really don't know. It's, it's obviously a slang term. Uh, so I don't know. There's, there's a, there's kind of a hue of satire to it, right? Like right. It, there's there's this tongue-in-cheek humor where you're like, oh, that guy's got a dad bod. And then some you know, female in the group around you is expected to be like, oh, a dad bod. And then all the guys are like, but, yeah, I wish I could have a dad bod one day. You know, but like, do you think it's like maybe like we've created this language and, and have like maybe secretly women have always been into quote-unquote dad bods? But now that we have a language for it. Women uh-huh. are able to express their their enjoyment for a physique that maybe didn't have a word for it up until this point. Do you think that maybe that could be the case? I think that's. I think it's possible. It's. I think it's doubtful in within the Western perspective. I think people are still expected to look a very particular way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you do a quick Google search, just real fast, and you type in dad bod, right? Yeah. You're going to get, uh, I, I think it's a pretty monogamous skew, uh, or monogamous. Monogamous. Uh, yeah, monogamous. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're going to get a monotonous skew of men that have a gut. It's yeah. pretty straightforward. Yeah. Like they're, they're, they're not, not very complicated. They're not very complicated. There's not there's not a whole lot of enigma to the dad bod. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Looks like we have uh, sloping shoulders. Uh, not really moobs, but not clearly defined pecs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and then like a little bit of a gut, but not too much. I see a little bit of hangover with a couple of these guys, but most of them it's just like the stereotypical like chubby beer belly kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not obscene. It's not totally unhealthy, but it's definitely not this overly uh, this kind of like masturbatory gym rat kind of looking like uh, six pack abs and 
you know, 5% body fat. It's definitely not that, but it's also not completely unhealthy either. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's just what I'm thinking. Maybe I've been incepted. Yeah, maybe incepted. Maybe that's like the hottest thing possible. Yeah. And you've been brainwashed. You've been trying to become this eight pack gym rat freak when really you should just be working on your dad bod. Jeez. What am I doing? <laughs> you need a you need to have a long, hard talk with your wife to figure out what she really wants and really needs. I I, I think I might do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Uh oh well, yeah. Why am I doing this diet? This is dumb. <laughs> this is dumb. Oh gosh. But more about that later. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of gym rats, though, this is I, I I labeled this the trifecta. Right. These are three of the uh the standout ways in which modern day men can express themselves uh through their their physical appearance. Mm-hmm. So you have, of course, the dad bod. You know these these are on. You know, one end of the spectrum, these guys who have taken advantage of cultural acceptance of laziness. Taking advantage. <laughs> yeah, taking advantage. They, they're doing it. They're they're, they're skimming off the system. That's right. And then you have the, the gym rats, right? Uh-huh. And these guys are on the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, now, I, I don't necessarily know if the gym rat is more popular in certain sects of our culture. But uh, I might go as far to say that uh, there are some metrosexual men, okay. uh, whether they be involved. And by the way, metrosexual, for those of you out there, does not denote uh, heterosexuality or any type of sexuality in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, more so just the, the fact that these men are going to focus on this kind of uh, consumerist, uh, urban – um, hence Metro, uh, kind of mentality in which they are going to, uh, focus on the way in which they look more so than many other aspects. Would you aspects say, of- uh, perhaps the word vanity would be a Vanity. That is perfect. Absolutely perfect. Uh, apparently this term, uh, was coined in the mid nineties, uh, focuses on meticulous grooming and appearance, and they spend a significant amount of time and money doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that the, the gym rat kind of fits into that. Uh, n- not that it's particular in any type of LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. uh, but I would go as far to say that it, that is a little bit more um, uh, uh, stringently applied to that community than it is uh, Western communities in general. Well. Speaking about gym rats, I was reading some stuff about uh, men and their insecurities with their bodies. So you would assume that people wearing muscle sh- muscle shirts in the gym that are yep. ripped would be yep. confident in their bodies, right? If, sure. if they have this quote-unquote ideal body type. But mm-hmm. that is not necessarily the case. Apparently, yep. sometimes the most ripped people you see are in the gym – that often, because they are so insecure about their bodies, that this is the only way they know how to cope with it. And apparently, uh, one in five men uh, that appear to be uh, healthy uh, based on their their physical attributes at the gym uh, were, said that they were insecure about their bodies, which I thought was a really interesting stati- statistic. 
but it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. It, it totally makes sense. It's like uh, Jim Gaffigan's bit on going to the gym and seeing all these guys that are looking at themselves in the mirror. They're all jacked up. It's like, why are you guys here? You're done. And it totally makes sense. Yeah. Because like, these guys are obviously have reached, have surpassed a lot of the physical goals that most men could possibly hope to attain in their lifetime. Yep. Yet they continue to strive for more. And I don't know if that's because of our inability to accept what is, uh, what is par, what is baseline okay in our lives. And this, this ever kind of churning, uh, you know, non-virtuous cycle trying to reach that sense of perfection. Mm -hmm. But it, it definitely has to do with, with some semblance of that idea. You know, we're, we're focusing on something that is completely unattainable. And in a lot of instances, we're negatively attributing those types of things to ourselves. So yeah. these gym rats that are day in and day, na- day in and day out, hours in the gym uh, all the time, uh, they're never going to get to what they want. Right. They, they're never going to get there. And I think it's just because in order to get to that point to begin with, you have to be the type of person that is going to just – throw all of that apprehension to the wind and just go at it as hard as you can trying to attain that uh, supposed sense of perfection. Mm-hmm. Which is, it's kind of sad. Yeah. Uh, and then the um, the last one, right? The, the last one of the trifecta, uh, I've called them the untouchables. Uh, okay. Did you know any untouchables in, in high school, Jimmy? Uh, just like, I mean... In high school, I usually think of people of extremely poor hygiene. Um, yes. That's a lot of what I think about. And in the modern era, I think about perhaps the incel community. I don't know if we want to talk about those people or not. That's a whole another bag of worms. But um, Or perhaps neckbeards. Hey, is, or... that, is that involuntary celibate? Yep. Are you familiar with these people? Not really. Oh, don't... my goodness. Ugh. Okay. Do we have time for this? Absolutely. Okay, so the incel community is a community that has kind of uh, become popular on the internet in the last few years. It's kind of like this group of people that it's, uh, you could, they're more or less a misogynistic group that feel like they are, they're entitled to sex, right? But basically that women are like keeping sex from them. Right, uh-huh. they, that that they and that's like why and that's why they're involuntarily celibate because they want to have these relationships but they can't and so basically these really insecure men have like these forums on the internet. I think they used to have one on Reddit. And I think Reddit took it away from them because they've committed some acts of violence in uh, within the last few years. Like the guy in Toronto that ran over a bunch of people in a truck. Do you remember that? Oh fuck, he was an incel. And so all because he wasn't getting sex, basically. Yeah. And so basically, yeah. And and they have their own language and slang terms they use. But that's basically the gist of it. It's like a group of guys that probably don't take very good care of themselves hygienically and probably are kind of assholes and probably use the mantra of like, I'm a nice guy. Why doesn't anyone want to have sex with me? You know, those kinds of people. And they just kind of hype each other up and talk about uh, how horrible uh, the rest of the world is. Um, and I think the funniest thing about them, though, is I think they refer to guys that have sex as chads. 
And I, <laughs> I, I don't know why I just think that's really funny, but that's all I got. That's especially relevant because Jimmy and I did a uh, <laughs> little bit of a comedy show together. Yeah. And one of our, our, our archetypical characters, uh, the, the college grad, was named Chad. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's absolutely relevant uh, because he was very Chad-like. He was, a very, he was very much a Chad. He was one of those. He was one of those guys that was going around just, just banging all the ladies, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> just taking away all that, all that precious uh, sex time from these poor, involuntary, celibate people. Absolutely. Uh, but that's not necessarily what I mean by untouchables. I, I think oh, okay. that those people are untouchable for a different reason. Uh, that's just because they're assholes. Right. Uh, but I'm talking about the untouchables. You said poor hygiene. Poor I think not that's hygiene. Part of and I also said neckbeard. Neckbeard is a is a good thing. And I think these things are adopted, and I don't think they're necessarily the cause of being untouchable. Okay. Sometimes these individuals can have physical maladies that are beyond their control. Okay. Uh, you know, perhaps uh, an especially pungent body odor or a protruding forehead mm-hmm. or uh, you know, like a massive glasses or braces or some other type of uh, issue uh, that would prevent them from attaining that physical perfection, at least in the general public eye. Mm-hmm. And this kind of steamrolls on itself. I think that the neck beard evolves out of that. Not mm-hmm. that that was the cause of them being an untouchable to begin with. You, you kind of understand what I'm saying? Uh, maybe. It's like I, if, if, if you know that you're, you're not going to get any and mm-hmm. you kind of counted yourself out, mm-hmm. then you grow a neck beard because – why the hell not? That's fair. And, you know, and that's true freedom if you think about it. Hey, well, yeah. I mean like if you, if you don't have to worry about anybody but yourself and you're just kind of doing your own thing. Yeah. You know, and in some ways that's the most attractive thing of all is just embracing who you are and being all about it. And you know what? You might just find your love that way. That's right. Absolutely. And that's what everybody needs to focus on. Uh, I, I – uh, before we go into our, our next subject today, there is a, a Tyler Durden quote from Fight Club mm-hmm. where, you know, him and uh, Brad Pitt and Ed Norton are sitting on the bus and they're looking up and they see the picture of the guy with the, I don't know, Calvin Klein, you know, whatever guy's underwear yeah. commercial. Uh, and Brad Pitt asked Ed Norton, is, is, is that what a man is supposed to look like? And of course, you know, Ed Norton doesn't have a significant response because he's just talking with himself, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and uh, he says, uh, self-improvement is masturbation, but self-destruction, it's something else. So you guys think about that a little bit. <laughs> wait, wait. What, are, what is that? What are our listeners supposed to take away from that? No, that's that's the silver lining. You know, it's it's all – it's all it's – all, uh, temporary right everything's temporary Tim. we're not gonna go down existentialism and body image jesus yes but we have to we're placing too much importance on it because what is body image uh rather than just like a function for determining who is physically fit or not it's all just a way in order to determine uh how we could possibly match up sexually with partners and yada 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 it's Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much all that it is. And then it blossoms into these other things because we, we as human beings want to place meaning on something because we want to discriminate. It, it's just because our brains are differential engines and we have to make these comparisons. One body type is not necessarily better than the other. I mean maybe in, in certain circumstances, certain functions. But as far as looks are concerned, 
it's all relative. Yeah. It's all relative. That's true. What what would you think is the silver lining here, Jimmy? Of body image? In of, of of male body image. Yeah, of of uh, overwhelming input, male body image. How do you how do you take something as bad and say there's something good about it? Um, well, that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, answering the hard questions out there, so you all don't have to. Yeah, absolutely. The good uh, part about body image. Um. So it it gives you uh, uh it it. Um, if you don't have an ideal body image, you can group up with all of your, your, your friends that are also insecure about your body image and you can have a little, little powwow and, and talk about that and you can relate about it and then realize that no one really likes their body. So, uh, that's good. And then you can take it a step further with all of your, your friends powwowing, talking about how you don't like how your body looks and then you can make fun of attractive people <laughs> and and then make yourself feel better that way. Be like, yeah. Hey, yeah. Break down a pig. Yeah. It, their life is too easy as it is. We need to, we need to uh, humble them. Except for apparently one in five of them already probably need a, someone to tell them they look good enough because they're insecure with the body. So maybe that's not a good tactic either. Uh, oh, Tim, yeah. what are your thoughts? Just be nice. I actually, I be I nice to everyone. Same. I had the exact same point to make. You know, I, I think that uh, our you know body image and the way in which we believe we look is part of the human experience, mm-hmm. and we can relate to all genders and, and all sexes uh, just by the fact that we all go through these trials. We all find our bodies to be, uh, I guess, imperfect in some way, shape, or form. Everyone. And as we're either trying to achieve that pinnacle look or as we're trying to come to terms with the things that we cannot change physically about ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, it allow us, allows us a great opportunity to uh, look across the room and see somebody else that even though they look completely different from you uh, might be experiencing the exact same thing Right. in, Appre- in so many words. Appreciate our, our differences and stuff like that. Absolutely, it brings us together as human beings. We are all walking around in these in these meat bags, these uh just sticks and pudding. You yeah, know? we're we're just meat. Mm-hmm. That's right, and that's that's exactly how we should approach this. You know, we're all just meat meat bags. <laughs> <laughs> so all right. Quick. Well, well, uh, a lot of the way in which we. Uh, you know, the, the size of our meat bags, the quality of our meat bags is determined by what we put into these meat bags. Yes. So uh, the next topic that we're going to be discussing today uh, is diet. 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 You, uh, yeah, so diet is apparently a $60 billion industry a year. Jeez. It That's is cool. insane. Um, For good reason. The- yeah, and and this space basically this entire industry exists to make you feel insecure about your body. That is the entire reason why it exists, and probably why a lot of these body image issues we have in America exist is because of this industry trying to 
convince you that by eating a protein bar or drinking down a protein shake or eating some low-fat yogurt or some other commodity that they're trying to sell you will will make you magically manifest into the body you wish you were. Yep. It's just a, a, a magic red pill, right? Yep. You, just, you take it and bada-bing, bada-boom, physical perfection. Overnight. Right. But how no can you word. achieve physical perfection if you don't know what tasty wheat tastes like? Yes. Yes. Yeah, no. I made that reference a while back, and I, you you were like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I know. I just you made a, another Matrix reference, so I feel like I had to bring yeah. it up. It's one of those nerdy things. Uh, refer back to our previous episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I cut you off there. But uh, what were you gonna say, Tim? I'm sorry. Uh, I totally lost my train of thought. Thanks a lot, Jimmy. Yeah, uh, i the Matrix. <laughs> uh, so diet, right? There's a lot of diets out there. Uh, and I, I'm sure a lot of them are available for uh, consumption by the average consumer because that's the way that it's being marketed. Uh, and that's the important aspect of a lot of these diets. The fact that they're marketable. The fact that you can say, "Oh, look what uh, look what Jenny did. You know, she lost fifty pounds with the super simple Atkins diet, or you know, some kind of yep. some kind of BS. Like staple a doctor's name to it oh, and yeah. pretend that it has some kind of scientific research behind it. And bada bing, bada boom, you've got a, a multi-billion-dollar industry on your hands because these people will continually just pump money in in the hopes that they are magically going to." Uh, live up to their uh, physical uh, aesthetic representations of themselves. Absolutely. You know, and these things are tied to each other very closely. And a lot of the, the diets being promoted uh, by the diet industry are not necessarily sustainable. So you may um, be able to lose the weight in maybe not the, necessarily the most healthy fashion, but then you end up putting it back on later and then you just hop onto the next fad to see if maybe that'll work for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I don't know what it is with, with some folks. They'll try diet after diet after diet and they don't necessarily recognize that, well, speaking practically, that it's not, it's not the diet that's the problem. It's their behavior and their interaction with the rules in the diet. Mm -hmm. Like allowing yourself things like cheat days or uh, not following the rules perfectly, not doing your research outside of the diet. Mm -hmm. uh, there are all kinds of things that are going to play into whether or not you find yourself as successfully living up to these expectations that the diet would have for your, you know, for the way in which you need to change your life in order to attend to it. And it's also, also super crummy in that food science is always up in the air where one week they're telling you eggs are good. The next week they're telling you eggs are bad, you know, yeah. and then they're, and then so it, as a layman who may not have the time to deeply read and research. And a lot of times when you try to like figure out like what foods are good and bad, you get taken to like these really like shitty websites that look like they were made in the nineties that yeah. no <laughs> you can't really tell where they got any of their source material from. Yep. And it makes it all the more complicated. Like if you want to like 
make yourself dislike any food. Like you could type in why is blank bad and someone will bring up something to tell you why you can't eat it. Even if it's absolutely good for you and you can eat as much as you want. I haven't tested this myself. I'm sure you could type in why is spinach bad for me? And someone will have created a complete synopsis trying to convince you that spinach is bad for you, even though it's absolutely probably one of the best things you could eat. Are you testing out this theory right now? Yes. <laughs> oh, You're going to prove me wrong. No, nah, man, it's pretty hard. I think spinach is universal. Okay, maybe spinach is safe. Okay, we'll, we'll, go, we'll stick with eggs. Eggs, eggs, I know you can find conflicting information on. Oh, but high cholesterols and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, absolutely. Um, ooh, okay. Overconsumption of spinach can interfere with the mineral absorption capacity of our body. The plant contains a lot of oxalic acid, there which is known to bind with several essential mineral compounds like calcium, magnesium, and zinc. And because of this, our body doesn't get enough of these elements to absorb. It can hamper the normal function of our system and lead to various diseases related to mineral deficiency. So someone could take that article and hold it up and be like, see, spinach is bad. Don't eat spinach. You know, yeah. um, so it makes life hard. Oh, man, this is great, though. Like just like as far as aesthetics are concerned, uh, somebody has got this excellent product placement. There's a little window that opened up beneath the third heading. They've got these labeled, like the yeah. first one is poor mineral absorption, second one is stomach disorders. The third one is diarrhea, and then underneath that was like a little ad. So somebody oh, yeah. incidentally paid for that particular spot, and they're nice. just like playing. It was like a restaurant commercial with diarrhea right above it. <laughs> oh, it's great. Oh, God. <laughs> It was like, oh, come to Subway and you'll have diarrhea. Yeah. <laughs> it was so good. Back at you, consumerism. Ha-ha, gotcha. Uh, that's great. Uh, so as far as diets that you've personally experienced, mm -hmm. um, did any of them work for you? Were any of them difficult? Okay. So I'm going to side rail back onto body image real quick since we're oh, talking yeah, yeah. about me personally and diet. So – as we've discussed in previous episodes, I'm a super tall and skinny human being. Mm. And so since America is a place of um, abundance and surplus, uh, most people struggle on the spectrum more so with um, losing weight as opposed to gaining weight. So if you're one of these uh, ectomorphs, someone on the spectrum that doesn't uh, look like the ideal body type or body image, I feel like people feel like they can lambast you and just like say like mean, hurtful things as if yeah. like you can't be hurt because you're not fat. Like it's, it's kind of insane. Like I remember like growing up and just like even just cashiers at Walmart telling me I needed to go and eat a burger and I'm like 12. I'm like, Okay, you know what I mean? It's like I have no real control over how how big I am. Um and yeah. so uh, for me what's that? Yeah. I've seen you eat. Like it's it's not abnormal. <laughs> yeah. Like I I eat a a, a normal amount of food. Um yep. And like it, it was even bad enough that uh, my mom at a time was concerned that maybe I was anorexic or something like that, even though she saw me <laughs> eat. Like she was like afraid that I wasn't. I don't know. Um, and so, but and obviously, you know, kids are horrible too. So when you have like family members that uh, seem to have um, concerns or negative feelings about your weight, as well as uh, not 
as well-meaning children, it can give you a negative body image, which I would say that I still carry to this day, but I've definitely gotten a lot better mm-hmm. at uh, coping and dealing with it. But so for me, anytime I've changed my diet uh, at, well, not anytime, but there's been times where, I mean, it's been for the intent of trying to bulk up and become bigger. And for my me myself personally, uh, no diet has really been successful in doing that. Uh, so I just try to eat healthy in general. Sometimes I'm better than others and personally just eat for health conscious reasons as opposed to uh, some kind of dietary restriction to try to realize some kind of idealized body type or something like that just because of I've accepted my lot in life, Tim. All right. Well, I, I think that's that's pretty good. Like you've reached that that state of mental satisfaction that is finally going to influence the the way in which you 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 diet and you eat it's it's affecting your physical world that's great that's a good thing thanks man how about you how how has diet impacted you and your life uh through the years it's it's been pretty tumultuous uh i guess as as far back as i could remember you know when did i start being conscious about the way that I looked or what I was eating. I would say this was right around, you know, like, like middle school, I suppose, like right around fifth, sixth grade, somewhere around there. And, uh, I, I was an overweight little kid uh, and I wasn't like grotesquely overweight. I wasn't obese. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I was, I was pretty chubby little kid and I did get made fun of quite a bit. And I think that that played into this, uh, idea that I need to start bettering myself. So from a very young age, I think it was around sixth grade when I actually started lifting weights, Wow, which is, is pretty young. Uh, and I, I wouldn't necessarily encourage any parents to, you know, towards or against that type of behavior. But I, I know that it, it is pretty addictive, uh, especially with a lot of mentalities that you find in gyms, uh, people that will push and push and push themselves in order to try to achieve uh, you know, some sense of, of physical perfection. You know, we discussed that a little bit earlier. And I myself was also kind of indoctrinated within that. Uh, I had an, an older brother who uh, was a, a successful athlete. Uh, he ended up playing college football. And he was a, a very big person, very, very burly guy. Uh, so he lifted a lot of heavy, heavy weights, which I thought was really impressive, even as a, you know, a, a young person around, you know, sixth grade or so. So, I worked out with him for a while, uh, and sure enough, by the time I was a freshman in high school, I was bigger and stronger and, I guess, more fit than the majority of people that were on uh, a lot of the athletic teams where I went to school in <laughs> in Western Kentucky. Uh, so, you know, it, at that point, I, I kind of experienced the other side of the fence, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Where it's like I, I had experienced this this consistent ridicule, and now I, w- I was on the side where people would still poke fun at me for spending too much time in the gym or for avoiding certain foods uh, or engaging in, in like workout practices outside of a gym. Like if I, I saw the opportunity to do some calf raises or something, uh, you know, I would I would do them on a stair step or – you know, some like split legged squats or something like that, you know, I mean, it, it definitely paints you as being abnormal. And I think that's, that's the, the important takeaway here. It's like, if you're going to do something that's out of the ordinary, people will point it out and they will find a way to make fun of you for it. 
Right. Even if it's good for your health. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It seems like a zero-sum game. It's like you get made fun of for being overweight. You get made fun of for working out. So, ugh. Yeah, in, in the modern day, I'm, I'm currently experimenting with uh, a diet, the ketogenic diet, da, 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 da. It's, as it's being so touted. It seems like a really popular diet these days. Have you heard Very of it? Very popular. Yes, I have um, podcasts I listen to have talked about it. I listened to a, a, or watched a documentary uh, recently oh. called The Magic Pill or something like that about the ketogenic diet. And uh, apparently it was like thought up in the 30s. A pretty old diet, sure. Yeah. It, this is this is not new age stuff. Like people have known about ketone bodies for quite a while, um, and uh, I, you know I'm not going to be a salesman for this. I'm not even going to start. Like it, it, it has worked for me to an extent, but to each their own. I'm I'm not going to sell it to you. <laughs> Do you feel like your brain? Like okay, so let me just. So I watched the uh, Magic Pill documentary. Right? Are you familiar with this documentary by any chance? Uh, I am not. Okay. So this is, they try, it's a very broad documentary, and basically they take a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life, they take some nutritionists who are all about the keto diet, put them in their lives, make them eat this way, and then you see the changes that happens with these people. So it's not like a long-term study with a wide base, right? This isn't necessarily uh, scientific research, mm -hmm. um, but... Uh, like through the course of the film, there's like one lady who had diabetes and now she, uh, by the end of the film, she wasn't taking insulin anymore because she didn't That's... need to because of this diet. And there was like a little girl who was autistic who by the end of the, I mean, it didn't cure her autism, right? That's not where I'm going with this, but <laughs> she had better behavioral function, which is one of the, the, uh, the things that's common with autistic children where they have, uh, problems communicating and interacting and stuff like that. But obviously what, if you saw her from the beginning of the film, the end of the film, there had been some beneficial changes that had happened, uh, with her behavioral skills and stuff like that. But in, if you start looking online with the keto diet, people will basically claim, that it'll cure more or less anything. I've seen claims that it'll cure cancer. I've seen claims <laughs> that it'll cure asthma. Uh, claims that uh, it improves brain functionality. Apparently in the um, uh, Silicon Valley, a lot of these uh, people who are trying to maximize their efficiency as much as possible for their tech startups, so they're trying anything they can to get a leg up on their competitors are doing the keto diet. So, uh, Tim, are you like Superman at this point? Like, uh, how how much has your life changed? Because apparently it's a miracle. So, right. I'm, as of right now, I am currently doing a lazy man's version of the ketogenic diet. So, in all likelihood, I am not in ketosis, which of course is the point the of the point, ketogenic yeah. diet. You know, you, you, wanna, you want your body to be feeding off those ketone bodies rather than glucose. Right, no more uh, so, than like what, twelve carbs a day or something like that. Uh, it is. It, I've heard anywhere from seven grams to thirty grams. Okay. Uh, so I, I think that if you really wanna, you wanna hit it, you probably want to be nailing right around seven. So essentially, no carbs. Yeah. I mean, is is the the easiest way to put it. There's a lot of science behind it. Uh, I do not know the science. 
I just kind of like went with it. <laughs> you're like, you're like, uh, sounds good. Let's give it a shot. Well, Why not? one of the big, uh, one of the big draws is that you can still eat bacon and it's a diet, right? Yeah. So it's one of those, it's, it's overplayed. Like you shouldn't have bacon every day. That's obviously not good for you, not the point of the but diet. it's one of those things that you could possibly consume and still be losing a crap ton of weight or, you know, like stripping your body of fat, which does totally work. You know, like as soon as you switch over to ketosis, your body is going to just completely rip, strip the fat from it. Um, but it's hard to get there. Uh, and you essentially have to induce a state of starvation, mm-hmm. um, in which your body's like, Oh my gosh, like I, I was used to feeding off of all of this glucose and now it's gone. Right. So what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Oh, there's fat right here. I'm going to start consuming that instead. And, and this is of course all you know, it's simple, simple way to put it. Right. <laughs> so if you, if you are thinking about doing a diet like this, uh, please, please, please do your research. Right. Don't take what we're having to say on here is, uh, you know, reasoning to just up and start a bacon fueled crazy diet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just go, go make sure it's right for you first. You know, don't hurt yourself. we got to keep in mind that diets like this were incepted because of their, um, their ability to reduce epileptic seizures Yep. because, you know, people that, that struggle with those, uh, if they are in ketosis, they, they decrease in, um, in frequency. Uh, also people of course that are diabetic, uh, you know, they'll, they'll do the, the ketogenic diet because, you know, they can't eat carbs. They can't have sugar. Uh, well, you know, type type two diabetes, um, but yeah, it, I would say like it is it is successful for some people. Just know before you go, and be honest with yourself. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um. So obviously, this diet is uh, rich in animal products and stuff yes. like that, since that's where uh, typically uh, most of our fats and proteins come from, which you're allowed to eat as much as you want, essentially while on this diet. And so, but where are they coming from? Where are they coming from? Exactly. So <laughs> we've touched on this a little bit before mm-hmm. with our factory farming. And so even in the Magic Pill documentary, it talks like, "Hey, you know, like factory farming's bad," and we agree with that. But still, you know, you could eat grass-fed beef and stuff like that. But you see, my problem is I've watched too many animal documentaries, and so I've also watched this documentary called Cowspiracy. Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not. What's it like? Basically, the entire documentary is talking about how the um, the cow cattle industry is dangerous for the planet from an ecological standpoint because the amount of methane it creates going to the atmosphere, so that's bad. Uh, also, there's a lot of uh, waste uh, from the animals that gets either put into like the groundwater or runoff or whatever, and like that's not good because it's practically toxic at that point. It's because it's so concentrated with all the cows. Um, it takes a lot of resources to grow these cows. Like it takes a lot more. Cal- uh, I can't remember how many calories you have to like put into a cow to get one calorie of uh, cow meat, but yeah, it's it's, it's at a deficit. That's for sure. It's at a huge deficit. Um, and within that documentary, it brings up the argument. And so what I guess is maybe this isn't true or whatever. Yes, you'd never necessarily know of documentaries because just because it, it's in a documentary doesn't mean it's 
the most true thing. You really should check your sources afterwards of where they got the information to make sure. But at least with the information that it was presenting, it was saying that we took all the cows now, because in America we do eat a lot of beef, um, as is, and if we took them all off of uh, grain fed farms, which they primarily are, and switched them all to grass fed farms, we'd like basically all of America and a bunch of South America would be just grass fed farms. Like it would have to all, all of it would have to convert to grass fed farms to meet the current beef demand in the United States because we eat so much already. So it's just like, I don't know. Well, and that's still not addressing some of the uh, negative environmental impacts that are being caused by our beef production. Uh, the uh, greenhouse gases that are produced, uh, you know, cow- cows like to fart, you know. Right. So all of this methane that's just being trapped in our atmospheres is certainly not good for our environment. Yet, you know, people will still consume beef and meat at the at the same rate or, you know, choose to take on a ketogenic diet, which is kind of going to insist that you eat a, a lot of animal products. You know, where else are you going to get your energy? And that, that's very unfortunate. Uh, it's that whole principle like the snowflake doesn't believe it's responsible for the avalanche, you know, like people right. that are going to the store and picking up uh, a big rack of ribs, you know, Smithfield rack of ribs, mm-hmm. uh, and it's $5 <laughs> or, you know, some, yeah. some obscenely cheap, like how in the world is it possible that yeah. you could harvest a cow or pig and have the meat be this cheap? And it's like, well, I mean, if you do it on a large enough scale, if you offset your costs, mm-hmm through sheer production numbers, then that's possible. But if you make beef more scarce or pork more scarce, then the price is naturally going to be driven up. Right. Uh, and I don't know if, you know, the, the the market is kind of going to, you know, is kind of going to naturally set itself in terms of food. And that doesn't even get into problems like, uh, like issues with uh, Western subsidy practices. Mm-hmm. Um, like like the farm bills that that come up every every so often and yep. just completely disrupt the world market by subsidizing uh, United States farmers specifically you know, grains grain which, in particular absolutely yeah. there is a, a ton and corn. of corn that is just being stored there are farmers that are paid to create an overabundance and then sit on their corn mm-hmm. to not sell it in market they're 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 given that incentive because the people who are creating these farm bills are trying to put a Band-Aid on this ever-increasing problem because as technological practices become more effective, we are going to produce more food. And as we produce more food, we're going to flood the market more and more and more, especially if we're subsidizing our farmers, which have been caught in this this terrible loop of having to be able to pay for their farm machinery uh, while also pay off uh, their enormous amount of debt that uh, their land is essentially owned by by other folks. And, you know, it's just this, it, a negative cycle that continues to churn over uh, and ends up being given back to uh, the poor inhabitants of third world countries that have been disenfranchised by the fact that they can't compete on the global market because yep. the grain is too cheap. Yep. They, they can't get into the game. And the same thing with, uh, you know, with meat farmers. You know, like this this presence of, of Smithfield uh, racks of ribs that are five dollars. Mm-hmm. Why in the world would people honestly pay for something that's grass fed or organic if it's 
two, three, four times as much. And sometimes it is. Absolutely. And that doesn't even get into the issues of uh, Western demands for beef uh, in uh, with Brazil literally cutting down the Amazon rainforest to create more pastures for oh. cattle. And that's because uh, America's began has begun uh, importing beef from Brazil. So I doesn't even talk about that. And, uh, and then, so we've talked about, so there's all these negative impacts and effects. And then from another standpoint, it's like, okay, let's say we decided, I'm just focusing on the ketogenic diet because I think that's what we're both most familiar with. And, True. You know, um, so let's say we decided that, you know, yes, this design, this diet's great. It's amazing. It's good for the world's health. Let's put, um, everyone on it. And I would dare to say that most of the world can't afford this diet. Most of the world yep. has to sustain itself on grains, yep. on legumes, yep. which uh, basically this diet argues are not good for your body. Sure. But at the same time, if that's all you can afford, these subsidized grains um, that are cheap, I mean, what else can you do? That's right. You, you don't have a choice at that point. Yeah. Uh, you, you survive how you can. Human beings have always found a way. Have always been resourceful enough to be able to still, uh, to still thrive, to still procreate. So, if grains your option, grains your option. Mm-hmm. Just how it's going to go. Um, I mean, not to mention, like, to, going back to my experience on the keto diet, it's really hard to go out and find food willy nilly. Oh yeah, on the keto diet because the majority of Meals that are going to be produced for you, first world problems, right? Yeah, seriously. Uh, are going to include quite a bit of grain in them because grain is cheap. Right. So, you know, restaurants can fluff up their meals and make them really delicious on the cheap. Yep, that's right. It's it's quite easy to do so. Uh, and, and then if you want to look at the other end of the spectrum, you know, all of these cultures around the world that are sustaining themselves on, on rice uh, or uh, on you know various wheat, barley, um, you know cereal grains, that sort of thing, uh, flours. You know that that is incredibly cheap, and that's what the majority of their diet is going to consist of. And and even the same in the in the United States, uh, the obesity epidemic, for example. I call it an epidemic hesitantly. <laughs> you know, it, yeah, it it is a problem. I don't necessarily know if it would be classified as you know, like this, this epidemic, you know, inferring or in assuming that it's some type of disease that is beyond the control of the people who are struggling with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but by the same token, it is, you know, it is present, uh, and it is hurting a lot of people out there. And a lot of this is due to the fact that they either don't have the money, uh, or are not properly educated in where to get nutrient dense foods, uh, in, non uh you know carbohydrate laden packages right yeah uh or or they live in a food desert where fresh uh produce and meats just aren't accessible and anything they have access to buy is going to be mm-hmm. in a box that's already been prepared for them yeah boxes and cans mm-hmm. uh, isn't that weird like you go to the grocery store and instead of finding you know, fresh produce all over the place. All of your stuff's been imported. Like all the lettuce that I get, for example, comes from Arizona and I live on the East coast. Yeah. And I was like, how is that effective? Like how, how is it possible that this oh, is I'm paying $1.89 for a three pack of romaine lettuce heads. Right. And 
this is some way feasible or sustainable. Right. No, I, we, oh, that's all. <laughs> the transporting of food and where our food is grown, that's a whole nother yeah. whirlwind of, I mean, because California basically grows all of our food. I guess in that case, Arizona. But like if you're not, you know, in the Midwest growing corn, it's probably grown in California. And that's yeah. just the way it is. Yeah. And then that's it gets shipped out to the rest of the country and somehow that's efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention, like, a lot of these industries could possibly be upended by uh, modern scientific practices and, and new information. Uh, one in particular, I grew up in Kentucky, and the area in which I lived was well known for something called uh, one-sucker tobacco. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the economy was booming at the point in time that they were growing this particular type of tobacco. Uh, but of course, through modern influence uh, and through uh, through the scientific advancement, uh, knowing that tobacco is very bad for you, <laughs> very, very bad. That, that industry has been almost completely cut off from, from that area. So the, that, that substance that they used to prop up their economy was just swept away over the course of, you know, 10, 15 years. Uh, and that really hurts a lot of cultures. And, and not, not to say that, you know, like uh, tobacco should have been kept around, but I think that it, it can still uh, influence the way that we look at, say, like uh, uh, zero grain subsidies or corn subsidies and things like that uh, around the world. You know, these, these people who, uh, you know, through whatever reason beyond their control, just have an industry that they've, relied on so heavily and it just gets overnight just gone yeah. bada boom now you're all impoverished you know good right you have all this farm equipment specifically for growing tobacco that you can't use anymore yep and your farmland is devastated by the fact you've been growing tobacco or at least this particular variety uh it's it strips the soil of its nitrogen well, that's why a lot of people grow clover after the fact in order to you know, in, enrich the soil once again. You have to crop rotate in a very particular type of way. Or at least that's my understanding. This is still coming from a layman. I myself have not been a tobacco farmer. Uh, right. So everybody take that with a grain of salt. Take your tobacco with a grain of salt. Take your tobacco. That's the way I like to smoke it. Um, so uh, with all of this in mind, so we've obviously talked a lot about the different ways in which um, – modern industrialism affects our food ways and the foods we have available to us mm -hmm. at the supermarkets. Uh, what, what is the positive here? What's the, what's the silver lining? What's the good thing? Okay. The, the silver lining of the silver lining of what exactly are we talking about? Um, like uh, modern day diets get, it's a catch-all. <laughs> it's a catch-all. What's the of, silver lining? Of everything we've discussed post-body um, image. I mean, oh, in body image too? No, post-body image. I said oh, post-body post image. I was like, right you want me to include that? No. Oh, God, there's no way. <laughs> and also include a thesis on uh, the modern interpretation of Socrates. Uh, okay. okay. Socratic method. Okay, okay, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, I don't know. I, I think the silver lining here is that, you know, we can look at this big picture and we can see that, uh, the, you know, the, the tiny decisions do influence the big ones. Mm -hmm. 
you can see that somebody's choice to walk into a grocery store and to buy a particular thing or to commit to a certain dietary pattern is going to influence the world no matter how small we believe our decisions are. I mean, I think that the evidence is quite apparent. You know, if enough people do a particular thing, it is going to make change. So if we can apply that understanding to other areas of our life and hopefully spin it for the positive, we can recognize that we as a human race can do a lot of big, important things. Just by buying shit. Just by just by buying shit. I mean, like we've, we've not talked about shit. with your dollar. What'd you say? I said, and also not buying shit. And also not buying shit. That's, That's right. right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can obviously influence the economy either way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you might not be influencing as much as as you know, Dobro down the street that has a bajillion dollars, but by the same token, we can still we can still live in good faith with ourselves and uh, make positive choices as individuals. Right. So, if you wanna if you wanna see a healthier world, skip the canned Campbell's soup and take a stroll through your local grocery store's vegetable aisle and grab the biggest, plumpest, juiciest tomato and throw that bad boy in your shopping cart. <laughs> yeah, or farmer's markets are great too. I like farmer's markets. Yeah, they're good. They're Once again, if we're going to talk about an affordability aspect, uh, not maybe not always affordable, but sometimes, I would venture sometimes... It is just as affordable as the grocery store. Um, I recently bought some beets from a farmer's market, and I got so many beets for $7. It was an insane <laughs> amount of beets. They were basically giving them away. Um, and I would say... Scary. What's that? Beets kind of scare me. Why? Oh, because well, po- when when your poop looks afterward and you pee? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. or you like you think you're like... Ble- yeah, it's terrible. It's scary. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, that's but good. they're good for you. It's a natural marker. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, I would say, from my perspective, the positive thing, I mean, I guess this all could be a negative, is that prior to the industrialization of food, uh, Americans spent about half of their income on food. Okay. Uh, and because of all this industrialization, we spend a very small percentage of that now on our food because the food has become so cheap, which obviously can have some negative effects of us uh, becoming overweight and obese because we yep. can buy so much excess. But at the same time, uh, it, it even makes our quote unquote more expensive foods uh, cheaper and enables us to um, spend our our excess money elsewhere more freely. So I would say that's a, that's a nice feature. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely is. So silver lining completed. <laughs> completed. We did it. We made it. Uh, so I guess that just about does it for this episode, huh? That, that's. I think that's all we've we've come here to say. We came, we saw, we conquered, we talked hmm. about some issues that we definitely could have talked about for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. But given the time that we had, um, I, I, I hope our listeners think we did an okay job. Mm-hmm. After all, uh, we we understand that our perspective is, of course, uh, lacking that all-valuable feminist voice. Uh, So at some point in time, we would like to have a guest on. We don't know when exactly that's going to be, but we would like someone to join us and and, involve themselves in our discourse uh, so that that we can have a little bit more visceral uh, experience lending itself on our podcast. Absolutely. 
So keep that in mind. If anybody has any uh, anybody they'd like to volunteer, <laughs> send <laughs> yeah. them our way. Yeah, uh, we always want to hear from you all. Uh, thanks again to the people who have responded to us so far. Uh, you guys have given us a lot of good recommendations for content, uh, for responses to our videos, for general words of encouragement. Always Absolutely. welcome. We love it. We appreciate it. Very, very nice. Absolutely. Uh, and- uh, very where encouraging. They, it it very much is. Where where can uh, where can they find us, Jimmy? Where yes. Can they contact us. Um, if you uh, have encouraging words or suggestions or something that we said that uh, you you're like whoa 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 that was incorrect, you need mm-hmm. to tell everyone where you messed up. Feel free to email us at cynicempowerment at gmail at uh, Cynic Empowerment, same name as the show here that you're listening to. And yep. we also have uh, a Facebook where you can like us, and we'll let you know when all of our new episodes release, so that way you don't have to think about it. Those mm-hmm. pop up in your little little news feed on your Facebooks, and you'll know. Yep. You could, you could post it on our Facebook wall, too, if you wanted to publicly chastise us. Yes. You assholes. May or may not be deleted, but you know, yeah. uh, if you're if you're coming from a place of mutual understanding as opposed to derision, we we welcome that. Absolutely. Absolutely. We would love it. Uh all right then. Everybody out there, we hope that you keep your head up and we'll catch you next time. Catch you next time, everybody.